Hey everybody, Chris here. You may know us these days as the Personal Injury Mastermind, but you've discovered our roots when we first started as the Rankings Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Over the years and hundreds of episodes, we've expanded our reach while staying true to our mission. We help you and your firm dominate the competition with insights from some of the best in the legal industry. You may notice that these older episodes sound a bit different. That's because we also embrace change and growth. I hope you enjoy this episode from the vaults and listen to a few of our newer episodes while you're at it. Thanks for being here. Let's begin. We're paid to be the modern equivalent of a samurai gladiator for what's right and what's just in the world, right? So that was what I loved doing. And that's what, what led me to do you know, this job, to fight for people. As an attorney, you need passion and determination if you want to try cases. And there are two characteristics that my guest today has in abundance. I literally will say to myself, I don't care if I die at my desk. If it costs me the win, it's like I need to win more than I need to live. And that's how driven we want to be in this law firm to win our cases. You're listening to The Rankings Podcast, the show where top marketers and elite personal injury attorneys share their stories about getting to the top and what keeps them there. My guest today is Brian Lebovic, CEO and founder of Lebovic Law Group and best-selling author of Not a Good Neighbor. Brian is well known for his ruthless determination in the courtroom, and he's installed a culture of relentlessly pursuing justice at his firm. In fact, he's so passionate about achieving maximum justice, he even wrote a book about it to enable people to represent themselves where hiring a lawyer might not be financially viable. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io. We help elite personal injury attorneys dominate first page rankings with search engine optimization. SEO is all about the first page, and that's also where we like to start our show. Here's Brian Lebovic, founder and CEO of Lebovic Law Group. When I was in high school, I, I tell this story a lot, and my parents, it's funny, I just went on a, a little vacation with my parents because they're getting to an age where we take them places. And we were on our way and they started talking about, oh, do you remember when the, the mythology in the family is this moment I got a traffic ticket when I was in high school and I was a young, typical high school kid and I had hair out to here, you know, typical, and I had a bandana on and I came out from working out at Gold Gym every day. And on my way home, a police officer gave me a ticket for making a right turn on red. And you could make a right turn on red in Ohio at the time, but I had made a right turn and I started to make it and then I saw a sign that said, no right on red. So I stopped and I backed up. Police officer pulled beside me, looked at me. You know, here I am a punk kid in my mom's car. And they were like, well, check them out. And they pulled me over. They gave me a ticket for making a right turn on red, which was really unnecessary. I mean, like really silly. And I mean, I broke the line. So technically, I shouldn't have broken the line with the car wheels. But, you know, I clearly was trying to do the right thing. But they were just being jerks. So... I did, thought it wasn't fair. I, I fought the traffic ticket and I went to court and I had been to traffic court before to plead my case. So you go and you, you plead, you know, no contest. And, you know, I'd had one prior traffic ticket because I was a high school kid. And so I go in and I plead not guilty. And the, you know, judge is like, all right, we'll get you a trial date. So I come back from my second trial date. I'm sitting with my parents because, you know, like I'm scared to go to court alone. So I'm sitting with my mom. And a woman walks up to me and introduces herself and says, she's the prosecutor, which I didn't know, you know, like I was going to get a prosecutor. Like, what do you mean? So she said, well, you know, when you have to do a trial, we, we have a trial, blah, blah, blah. So I went in and I actually tried this case, right? 
And the judge kind of instructed me and got me to go through it. And I kept interrupting and doing it wrong. But at some point during the trial, when the officer was testifying, he started talking and I was like, that's wrong. He's wrong. You know, and, I, and the judge's like, sit down, you can cross-examine him. And I grabbed a pad of paper and I started jotting down questions. And I, and I wrote question after question and these big, bold things like ask him about this, ask him about this, ask him about this. And I did like three pages of that. By the time he was done with his testimony, I got up and I whipped him around. I was all over him and just, I've always been a very natural cross-examination guy. And I just went after this guy as a high school guy. I was so angry. And I was like, isn't it true? Blah, blah, blah. And you should have blah, blah, blah. And you said blah, blah. And it was just leading question after leading question. I wanted to get my points across. And I did. And at one point he said, yeah, and I think the sign's in the wrong place. There you go. You know, like, so I was like, okay, the sign's in the wrong place. And and I kind of let it go at that. And then the next, there was two cops in the car. So the next cop comes in. And, you know, like she asked him what happens. He tells a little bit different story. But basically, you know, we gave his kid a ticket. They don't remember me pulling backwards. They didn't have any of that stuff in the report. And I'm sure they didn't remember it. At the time, I thought it was a giant conspiracy of these two lying officers against me. But I'm sure it was just, you know, that daily work. So I get up and I'm like, hey, the other officer said the the sign was out of place. If it was right here, it was out of place, wasn't it? And it was like, maybe. And I was like, all right, no, no, no more questions. I sat down. Judge found me not guilty. And then asked me to come back into chambers, female judge. She asked me to come back into chambers with her, sat me down and said, what are you doing? I said, I'm on high school. She said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was like, I think I want to be a doctor. I mean, my best friend wants to be a doctor and I'm taking AP physiology, AP chemistry, biology. You know, I'm doing all that stuff and I kind of like it. It's kind of interesting. She goes, no, 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 you're going to be a lawyer. What you did was incredible. I have people 10 years here as prosecutors. They don't cross-examine like that. That was amazing. And I walked out just feeling like that was my thing, you know? So that was it. I wanted to be a prosecutor after that. I was like, I'm just going to be a prosecutor, right? And I wanted to be a prosecutor until I became a prosecutor. So I, I graduated. I was a CLI for Janet Reno in the office. So I, you know, had that experience. and It was amazing. My wife was a, a three-year prosecutor for Janet. Uh, amazing office. I applied for the honors graduate program at the Justice Department. And I got that very great position. So I went in as a United States Department of Justice attorney. And uh, and I was there and that's where I kind of got my trial stripes. And when I came out, you know, like I, I decided after a short period of time, I didn't want to be a prosecutor. I really wanted to make money as well in my life. Yeah, so you, so you went to University of Miami School of Law and you got this experience. You, you, you stayed in Miami your whole career. You had the prosecutor side of the business. I was in DC for a short period of time. So I, after I graduated, went to DC and then came back, I got transferred back. I put in for a transfer immediately. Absolutely. So why Miami? What's the PI scene like in Miami? You know, uh, you know, what are the specific challenges that you face in your local area? I'm North of Miami. Luckily I went to Miami for law school. I loved Miami for law school. I thought it was amazing. And then after I came out of the justice department, I got a job with a guy that was a PI lawyer who didn't want to go to court ever. He was afraid to go to court. So I got a job coming out in personal injury. I wanted to be in personal injury. I wanted to be in personal injury because I really grew up hating insurance companies. My dad was an insurance agent my whole life. I was an insurance agent. I saw those people rip people off and not want to pay on their claims. So I definitely had a bad taste in my mouth about insurance companies themselves. So that gave me some motivation to be in this field. Had a great job with a guy that did 100 PI cases a month and never went to court and would hire a young prosecutor and say, run, do what you want to do. 
So I had a great time in that job and I had a great time doing that work. But when I opened up on my own, I wanted to be in a place where I felt like was a little closer to home. I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. And, you know, the Midwest is nice people. I didn't know that people stole from each other. Yeah, like, I'm, you know, I'm an Ohio boy. I, I'm Pittsburgh is really my, my original town. Everything on my walls is Steelers. I'm still bleeding nice. black and gold here. But I wanted to be in a nice place. So we ended up having an opportunity to move to Jupiter, Florida, which is the Palm Beach County and Treasure Coast market. And that's where I've been for 30 years. So I'm really practicing in that market. Yeah, and, that, and that's wonderful. And yeah, and I'm from the Midwest. And yeah, I, I so I can certainly relate. And, you know, with Lubovic Law Group, you've now earned more than $400 million for your clients. And you've been on the prosecutor side. So you got to see those strategies. You had a little background in the insurance. You know, what do you think contributed to your success? Was it getting the reps in? You know, what made you different as opposed to other personal injury attorneys that are maybe still trying to get to that seven figure mark or how are you different? We're a little different because there's a couple of pieces that make people successful, you know, personal injury lawyers. And there's a lot of different levels to that success to be a personal injury lawyer. So there's there's guys who are very successful because their job is to bring a ton of cases in. They're advertising guys and their thing is we run cases through. And if they're really complex cases, we probably get a different type of a firm to try those really super complex, hard, you know, core cases. So that's one level of success. The way that I did my success, and it's shown in our core values in the firm, right? We live up to a certain vision of who we are as an entity. And I came out, I like to fight. I have always liked to fight. I, I was a wrestler in high school. I thought I could wrestle in college. I could not wrestle in college. College wrestling is different than high school wrestling. It's way harder. So I joined the boxing team. My nickname in college was Box. And then when I came out, I tried I was in Taekwondo for a couple of years and then I tried MMA and that's very painful. And I decided that I like my face better than I like fighting, you know, but I still, I like fighting. And, and that's what, that's what we do for a living. I mean, we're paid to be the modern equivalent of a samurai gladiator for what's right and what's just in the world. Right. So that was what I loved doing. And that's what, what led me to do, you know, this job to fight for people. When I'm doing my my research for my guests, you know, I go to your website, I watch your watch your video, and I'm like, geez, this is a guy I want beside me. He is not gonna, you know, be complacent. Yep. You get a team and a person who is driven to win and wants to win more than they want to live. So I'll be at my my desk and I'll be working until four o'clock in the morning to get up at six o'clock in the morning to start trial at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning. And I'll have heart palpitations or whatever it is that's, you know, driving me crazy, right? And I'll say to myself, I literally will say to myself, I don't care if I die at my desk, if it costs me the win, it's like, I need to win more than I need to live. And that's how driven we want to be in this law firm to win our cases. Unbelievable. That's just a lot, that's a lot of passion that you know, all right, if this guy is that, competitive. If that's the motif, we're warriors for justice. We fight to win. We fight to maximize justice by aggressively fighting for our clients' rights. That's our, our mission statement. And we live it, man. That's the goal. Yeah. And I was going to say what immediately came to mind was everybody's probably rowing in the same direction. And, and I'm sure if you hired someone that didn't fit those values, it probably drove you crazy. They were probably first out the door. Yeah. You know, it, it's good. You end up building a culture of people around you 
that I don't have to kick anybody out the door. They'll leave and the, the people here will kick them out simply based on behavior. So we've had people that we like to play hard. Like we're a very work hard, play hard office. We do a lot of play together. There's a lot of stuff that we like to do together. But if you're here and you're the type of person who's on your cell phone all day long, your teammates will make it hard for you. They'll be like, get off your phone. You're not here to play. We got to get this stuff done. Like, don't talk to your mom anymore. Stop talking to your boyfriend. I'm sorry that you're breaking up. Put it on a bubble. Put your emotions on the shelf. Get back to work. Let's roll. You know, and that's that's kind of like everybody here, right? We all just have that, like, we're rolling it, you know? And then Love we go that. and we play. We'll drink. We'll have fun. We'll laugh. We'll take lunch breaks. We do. We have a fun committee. So I don't want people to think that when they hear this, oh, my God, it's a terrible place to work. It's an awesome place to work. But you got to work. As well as establishing a successful and aggressively justice-focused firm, Brian also managed to write a book distilling his courtroom methods for others to use as a guide. I asked him what inspired him to write the book and what he hopes the book will achieve. So two things compelled me to write the book. Number one is that I've recognized that my practice is not built to help everybody and that there is a level of case that would probably be better off just getting it settled without having to pay a legal fee because there's just not enough in it when given all the factors to go out and get it done, even though it's easy to get done. In Florida, we don't have any bodily injury minimums. So there's a lot of people running around with zeros. But if you do have bodily injury, a lot of people have like 10K, a 1020 policy. So there's $10,000 of gross amount that's available in a case for a person. And by the time they get done with their medical bills and a little bit of lost wages and some property damage that they may have paid for fully or not, rental bills for the car, there's no money in that case for the people themselves. So I'm going to end up taking a $3,300 fee. We're going to take $500 in costs. We're going to pay off you know, some medical bills and the person's going to be upside down $2,000. And they're going to say, what the heck did I pay you for? Like, what's going on here? They'd be much better off being able to take their medical bills, take their lost wages give it to the insurance company in an organized fashion, get the $10,000 check, call it a day. I wanted to give people that opportunity, right? And to do it with whatever level case they're comfortable with. But if it's a case that you shouldn't need a lawyer for, I don't want to have to be involved in it if you're comfortable doing it. If you're not, and you say to us, look, we need you to do this. We're willing to pay the fee for it. We're, we're willing to help anybody. I don't want people to think that we don't want to help them. But we don't want to help people in those situations where at the end of the day, they're like, why the heck did you get involved here? Absolutely. And I love that. And I love the awareness there too. And it's probably going to lend itself, you know, when that consumer calls you and has that very low value case, you can now maybe ship them the book. You, na you nailed it. That's my goal. My goal is to just say, look, you know, like here's a book. You have a way to get your case done. I'm sorry that I can't help you. You can hire other firms, like go to other firms. There's people that'll take it, run with it. You'll pay a lot of money and you may end up upside down. I think if you do it on your own, you'll end up right side up. I love that. And, you know, one of the things as a marketing agency that I see is many of those one-star reviews that the firm gets, it's not because of the experience. It's that they didn't take the case. Yep. They come to a firm and they, oh, we wouldn't take this case and they get all upset but now you have an outlet to provide value back to those individuals in that need. You know, and writing a book is, is one of those extremely time consuming processes. And it just seems so 
verbose and like, it's going to take forever. And, you know, so let's talk about that experience in itself. You know, did you have a daily, you know, a theme like every Thursday, I'm going to write for X amount of time. How did that process go uh, creating the book? That was exactly what it was. So COVID for me was a blessing because I leaned into it and I had more time. I was sent home. I had to be in my house which was, you know, a good and a bad thing for a while. You know, like there was all that time at home. You ended up like, instead of working from home, you ended up living your work, right? So instead of having like 12 hours a day at work, I started having 24. My wife thought I was a little obsessed, but I ended up setting up a schedule where twice a week I wrote for about two to three hours a week for a period of eight months. Let's talk about the marketing aspects of this. So I'd really like to dig in because I think there's a lot of fun stuff that you can do with it. So um, I, I love the aspect that it's a way to get on podcasts. So, so let's talk about that. So you had um, a marketing specialist reach out to us and yep. perfect. Absolutely. You fit our target audience, our personal injury attorneys right. listening. You know, so what are some of, what are some of the aspects that you plan to use the book uh, from a marketing capacity? And maybe we can brainstorm some things together as well. There's a couple of things that I really love that I'm that I'm getting good at as I get older and with a little experience. So one of them is this concept of trying to give away as much knowledge as you have. One of the things that I've that I've learned is that the more I put out into the world of just give it away knowledge and the more I hear about people doing it, the better off people do and the better their product and service offerings are and the more they're able to do and the more I give away, the more I get in the world. I really have this like crazy karmic philosophy that I had to learn. It didn't come naturally to me. I'm naturally extremely competitive. I want to hold all my knowledge to me. I want to learn what you know, and then I want to use it against you in the future because I want to be you know, the, the king. But it's not the way it works. And I've learned that's not the way the universe works, right? The more we learn together, the more we blue ocean it and work on it together, the more you teach me and I teach you and you know, the better off the world is, the better off my product is, the better off my services, the better off everybody is, and more people keep coming. So for instance, you go on these trial order listservs, right? So I'm a member of a couple of listservs nationally, and people will say, oh, does anybody have this? Does anybody have these documents? We have a lot. Like I have a very structured firm. We have employment manuals and we have vacation schedule policies. And we've got, I mean, we've got a policy book and a training book and we're doing, you know, training sessions and we're doing onboarding and everything's systemized. There's a lot that goes into a business. And a lot of law firms don't know how to do any of that stuff, right? But for years, I've been developing this stuff. The more I give it away and help other people, even in my own market, to be better as lawyers, the more people call me and say, hey, we want to do business with you. I just had a lawyer in my market call me and he's a direct competitor and say, hey, you guys do PIP work. We don't do PIP work. We want to work with you on PIP. And I, I never believed that that would be possible because I thought, well, if we're both advertising for PI cases, why would he give me business that makes me stronger, right? Because I'm giving him back business in a great referral relationship, right? And once we took over their PIP practice, they ended up calling us and saying, hey, you did a great job. You want to take over our SSD practice? So with another major advertiser in my market, I've got a great relationship where we've done PIP and SSD as partners on this stuff. Nobody knows about it. Like, I'm not even going to mention their name, but we have a great relationship because I put it out there and I helped them. And then they called me 
it's been over a year. And they said, hey, we got a new lawyer in. He knows Pip and he thinks that he can do it. We're going to bring it back in house. And I said, hey, don't worry about it. Not only that, if you want any of the documents that you need, any of the systems, if you want any of the law, like whatever you need to get better, have them contact our department. We'll give them whatever you want. He was like, really? You give me everything? I'm like, everything you need. And, and, and the more I do that, the more people are like, hey, we want to work with you guys. You guys, And we're getting, my firm has never been so successful as when I started giving all my stuff away. It's the craziest karmic thing ever. Brian isn't the first lawyer to write a book, and he certainly won't be the last. The truth is, there's so much to being a lawyer, and there are countless specialties to niche into, meaning that nearly every attorney out there will have a text or two in them. So for anyone out there wanting to create their own legal publication, I asked Brian what advice he has to help them put pen to paper. Pick something that's fun, that you like writing about, that you know well, that you can, like, uh, most of what I wrote about, I wrote off the top of my head, just because you know it, you know, like I know personal injury law and, you know, after 30 years of doing car accident cases, I know car accident cases pretty well. And the other thing is that I think storytelling is really important. There are people that there's how-to books out there, right? Like you can get how to do this or how to do that. And it's this huge compendium of boring things. People want to read stories. So I've had a lot of people who've read the book. It reads really fast. It's super easy to read. It's nice stories. And through storytelling, you learn what to do in a case. So it tells you something that happened in a story, apply it to your situation. And that's a great way to learn. And I think it's accessible. And that's what I wanted. I wanted an accessible book. I love that. I love the the learning through the stories, the analogies, those, those types of better experiences than just the kind of the research factual base. Have you ever heard of a guy named Pat Lencioni? Oh, yeah. So all of his books, not all, because the advantage is actually an instruction manual, but almost all of his books are these great stories, right? So you pick up a Pat Lencioni book and you know you're going to read something about building your business and making your business better, but it's going to be a great story about human beings and what they went through and how it worked out. And you can almost picture the same things happening in your business as you read them. Like you can really apply that. And that has helped me out tremendously in understanding. And then there's another guy, I don't know if you know, Gino Wickman. Oh yeah. Traction. Traction is great, right? But traction's an instruction manual. Did you read, what is it? It's a get a grip. The Swan Company. Exactly. The Swan Company. So I didn't really understand traction as well as when I read get a grip and then applied traction to it. And then I realized, okay, so this is what he's talking about. Let's shift over to the personal side now. So, you know, you're, you're deeply involved in charities from the American Cancer Association to fundraising for PACE. You know, what makes you want to just keep giving back to the community? You said it didn't come natural, but you're doing so many things for the community now. I've got some things that I'm really passionate about at a personal level. My wife has some things she's passionate about. Who's my partner at a personal level? My wife is the one who really brought me to the core of, what it means to help our community, what it means to be involved in, in the community and how. And I learned a couple of things. So I, I want to tell this quick story. I've got one friend who is a billionaire. I know one billionaire that personally, well, there's not a lot of them out there and maybe more now than before. Maybe it's not as huge of a deal, but the B is a different level. You know, these multimillionaires and all that, that's, that's, you know, but the B takes things to another level. So I know one billionaire and, and he was telling me, 
that he isn't because the bees all know each other. So all the billionaires, you know, they they hang with each other at some billionaire club somewhere. I don't know. But he was talking with another major contributing person and they were talking about the karma of money and how the karma of money is really hard to control because you put this huge amount of charity philanthropy out there. And a lot of it gets misapplied, misappropriated, misdirected. They feel like it's super hard to control. You're supposed to give with an open heart. You're always worried about putting strings attached to it and not wanting your name attached to it in some places, in some places you do. And he's like, the karma of money is really hard. And so what I've learned about at my level of charity, which is not a terrible level of charity, but is definitely not their level of charity, is that we can make it really good and keep the karma really good by being really local. Because you can see at a local level how well your money will work for human beings. So the Pace Center for Girls is a statewide program in Florida that takes at-risk girls and saves them from what would probably be a very difficult future and puts them on a track to a really wonderful future. And the, the young women who get to go through this program usually come out in a really positive direction. Direction for me is, is everything, right? Position is irrelevant, direction's what's important. And it puts them in a, in a wonderful direction with a great education and a solid psychological base so that they can go into the world and be productive people, leaders, and take care of their families and have great lives. But you see it, you see it happen. Like we know the girls who go, you know, one of the young women is my copier rep now. Like she's out making good money with a family. And you, know, you see that they come from tough places, terrible places, and they, they survive and thrive. And so you see that karma of money. It makes you feel really good about it. You know, you go to, um, I don't want to say anything bad about any other charities, but when you go to a local cancer charity, like the Sylvester charity group, right? So the Sylvester Cancer Center at University of Miami is a volunteer group of people that raise money for, it's called the Papa Nicolau Corps for Cancer Research. So the PAP Corps is a fundraising arm where 99, 98 or 99% of the money goes directly into cancer research. It doesn't go to administration. It doesn't go to vacations. It doesn't go to people misappropriating money. It's just cancer research. And so it's easy to track. It's easy to know your karma of money. So those things have been drivers for us where we find really good things to be involved in. Another charity that we're involved in that I love, that's one of my passions, is talking with high school kids about the dangers of driving. And we've got a group of people that have done this together for a number of years. And it started with the Dory Saves Lives Foundation and Irv Slosberg, who lost his daughter to a terrible, tragic accident. And that inspired him to create this foundation. And we've gone to tons of high schools and spoken to thousands of kids about traffic safety. And it's a very powerful presentation. There's another group that joined him that was part of it that has their own thing called Shattered Dreams. And they were doing these giant, extravagant plays on the football fields of major high schools where it would be like a wrecked scene and somebody gets arrested for DUI and they fly in the trauma hawk to the field and you see bloodied people and it's really a powerful thing. And then we talk about it. I do the legal side of it. We have a sheriff do the, the criminal side of it. We have a, a trauma nurse do the trauma side of it. We have a driving instructor do the driving side of it. We have a race car driver talk about what he'd like just for star power. It's amazing, right? 
I love that aspect. I, I, I haven't thought about that, but yeah, from a, from a local community perspective, you can say, Hey, you know, I affected this person's life in a positive manner because if you contribute to a, a big organization, you just don't know where right. it's going and you're hoping that it makes a difference. So I love that, you know, just a couple uh, final questions here, Brian. So sure. the next one, this is kind of shifting back, you know, you've been running your firm successfully for many years in your personal opinion, what, what makes a PI attorney stand out from the competition? What stands out to me are people that I've looked as heroes in this profession that I've looked up to for years and years because of what they brought to it, right? And, uh, and there's some, some people that have done this over the years that have been incredible, passionate, injury-related lawyers, right? And one in my market, who I think is probably one of the best in the history of our nation, is Chris Searcy. And when you meet Chris Searcy and you talk to him about a case, you see the passion that he feels for his client, the caring that he feels for his client, the fact that he's living that tragedy. When you live that tragedy for your client and with your client, and you can drag that into a cogent process to let a jury see and feel and hear that, that's what you would want to look for. Because I think that that capacity to do that and to storytell and to spellbind that jury into understanding the real nature of the injury, the real value of that injury and how this human being needs to be properly compensated because this is the way it's done and the jury has to step up and do that. When you can do that, then you're being a heroic person for that for that injured person. And that's what you want to look for in a personal injury attorney. I mean, Stuart Grossman does that. And there's, lot, there's lots of guys. I mean, I'm very... Lucky to have a lot of guys in our market that have been able to do that in Florida. Florida's filled with great trial lawyers. There's great trial lawyers across the nation. There's guys in California that are great in New York, but those are the people that you want to look for that can do that for you. That's incredible. And, and, and final question here, where can people listening go to learn more about you and where can they go to, to, to grab your book? So you can grab it on Amazon. You can grab it at Target. You can grab it at Barnes and Nobles. I think even the local Barnes and Nobles are starting to, to want to carry it now, which is great because sales have been awesome. You can also get it by going to my personal website, which is brianlebovic.com. So I have my own author website. And then we've got, I think, a link that we've developed on the lebovic.com, which is the law firm site, lebovic.com. Any of those places, you'll find a linkage to it. But Amazon, just go to Amazon and type my last name and the book pops right up. Awesome. Brian, thanks so much for coming on the show. I love Brian's karmic approach to being a lawyer and indeed a business owner putting out information into the world, aggressively defending the wrong, and funneling money into the local community is not only a tangible ROI, but also because it's the right thing to do. I'd like to thank Brian Lebovic from Lebovic Law Group for sharing his story with us, and I hope he gained some valuable insights from the conversation. You've been listening to the Rankings Podcast. I'm Chris Dreyer. If you like this episode or have an idea for a future guest whose story you'd love to hear, leave me a review and tell me more. I'll catch you next week with another inspiring story and some SEO tips and tricks, all with page one in mind.